This is Gotham TV Podcast, talking about Pennyworth Season 2, Episode 6, The Rose and Thorn. So how are you guys? Truly. Swings and roundabouts. I'm sorry about Baza. I show business. You need to put on a callous facade with me. I know how wounded you must feel. Both of you. I'm all right. Me too. Really? I'd be racked by grief and anger and guilt. Well, that's you, isn't it? I'm all right. You look terrible. Thanks. You look lovely, by the way. Blooming. Told you she'd stop. <laughs> Straight for the throat. That's not fair. I care for you guys. Mm. And I can see that you're both torturing yourselves over Baza, and you shouldn't. Mm. Stay the on, Duchess. It's bad luck to talk about those comrades when you're on a job. Welcome back, fellow governors, fellow Gothamites, to this episode of Gotham TV Podcast over on TV Podcast Industries, where we're looking at Pennyworth Season 2, Episode 6, The Rose and Thorn. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your other host, Derek. Welcome back, fellow governors. It's a dark and stormy night here in Dublin as we record this, so uh, you you may get some wind uh, noises on the podcast. I promise it's the wind outside. Well, it's getting dark and stormy in Pennyworth as well, certainly with a trippy end sequence and certainly the dark actions of Alfred coming to uh, sort of catch up on him a bit here in in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. uh, We knew that wasn't going to last too much longer. The uh, honeymoon period before he leaves for America is definitely not going to last too long, is it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. Thanks so much to all of you who are subscribing to the Pennyworth podcast and joining us for these episodes. It's been really, really good chatting about Pennyworth as it's returned uh, to the US on Epics and is now broadcasting on Stars Play in the UK as well. So uh, really good getting uh, you guys listening along with us. It's been really, uh, really enjoyable so far. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't already subscribed, please head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com to connect with any straight-laced or groovy podcast player of your choice. We're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any Mm -hmm. one that takes your fancy, really. Um, Please subscribe there. You can also support us uh, by rating us, leaving a review. And, of course, we're over on Patreon as well. So you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash TV Podcast Industries if you wish to support us through Patreon. Absolutely. And if you subscribe to us on TV Podcast Industries, you'll get all of our other coverage of all the other shows that we talk about. Just finished One Division over on uh, over on Disney Plus uh, and starting up um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier from March 19th over there on Disney Plus as well. So uh, lots and lots of comic book TV going on at the moment. So uh, check them out. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you about Pennyworth or anything else. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and we'll include your thoughts in our feedback section for Pennyworth. John, should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into the spoiler-filled review of this episode, The Rose and Thorn, mm-hmm. episode 6 of Season 2 of Pennyworth. Yeah. 
Yeah, this episode was written by Bruno Heller, the showrunner for the show. Uh, written many of the episodes of the first season and many, many episodes of Gotham. So we've spoken about him a lot over the last six years of podcasting. Uh, the episode was directed again by John East. Uh, he directed the last episode as well, episode five. Um, so both being involved in this. You can always tell when Bruno Heller's uh, hand is behind the, uh, the writing of an episode because everybody seems to get a moment, don't they? Beth is the only person that doesn't get a moment in this episode. But she had a nice big episode, big moment in episode five. Uh, this episode seems to really tie together all of the uh, all of the big storylines and big characters here, right? Yeah, it it really does begin to sort of bundle them up uh, and place a nice bow on. I think you can see where this is leading to in mm-hmm. the the final sort of three or four episodes of Pennyworth season two. Yeah, um, and but certainly, yeah, we we miss Bet Sykes here in this episode, but. Uh, no doubt she will be back with a vengeance. And great to see Bruno Heller doing the writing for this episode. And yeah, great to see Johnny back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beth's probably just cuddled up on the couch watching telly still. I guess in that shop, that might be the least um, of what she's doing. Well, maybe, yeah. But that's where we last left her, John, is what I meant. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Do you want to tell us where everybody is with your synopsis for this episode of Pennyworth, John? Sure. As Thomas Wayne rushes to extract Lucius Fox from the Raven Union headquarters, he enlists the assistance of the English League, and specifically Martha, who is feeling sick. In return for their help, Aziz asks that the CIA warn Alistair Crowley that John Ripper is out for revenge for the death of Archbishop Potter. Meanwhile, the imprisonment of Francis Gaunt has seen tensions fester in the top brass at the Raven Union headquarters, and Harwood increasingly becomes unhinged, seeing betrayal everywhere through a cocktail of medicine, alcohol, and the plotting of Captain Salt. Alfie and Dave Boy are roped in to the rescue of Lucius Fox, who has returned safely to the CIA, where he warns of the threat from Project Stormcloud. Back at Delaney's, Alfred and Dave Boy's friendship becomes strained, as Alfred's lies to Sandra and his infidelity with Melanie begin to catch up on him. Out in jolly old London town, Crowley is picked up by John Ripper, but some well-laced lip gloss allows Crowley to get the better of Ripper. Dropped off at the English League headquarters, John Ripper is drugged, hallucinating and fearful, but a demonic Aziz in his dreams quietly whispers that he manufactured the events to rid himself of his main competition in the English League. Back at Martha's apartment, Patricia Wayne is surreally painting the buttock of a naked man. But she has the answer to Martha's sickness. She is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of uh, lot of nakedness that goes on in Martha's house, isn't there? <laughs> yes, that was both the weirdest, most surreal, and also excellent moments ever. That, um, yes, a naked man standing in Martha's apartment, mm-hmm. having his buttocks um, sort of painted by patricia in a nonchalant uh way uh, mm-hmm. it all seems quite normal in that hipster apartment well, that is martha's i guess it never happened in wayne manor well maybe it did though you remember with, <laughs> with a person like patricia wayne has has as much money as she does everything's a canvas i suppose if you have that kind of money well exactly i mean i i just love this is just so off the wall mm-hmm. out there um but it is absolutely fantastic and i guess you know we we say there's not really any time here. You know, it, it borrows from a lot of different eras, hmm. but certainly the swinging 60s. I guess buttock painting would have been pretty uh, high up in the list of, of many people in that time. You mm-hmm. know, free love, 
uh, frolicking around, flowers, and a bit of extracurricular buttock painting. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, if you're up for it, why not? Why not? Uh, speaking of timelines, John, actually, we've got a piece of feedback from uh, Patrick Lemke over on Twitter, uh, who noticed last week there was a moment where we saw the front page of a newspaper, which indicated that we do actually have a year and month when that episode took place. That's the first time we've had that in the two seasons of the show. Uh, Patrick pointed out that the uh, the month was March and the year is 1962. A bit earlier than I thought, actually. I thought that we were kind of, if we were, if we were looking at a year, we'd be looking around 66, 67 kind of time. Yeah. Uh, later 60s. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess the, the timeline seems about right for me, 60s. It could have been a bit earlier, but I think um, in in that in the timeline, if there is one, sort of the background one for this show, it's post World War Two. Oh yeah, and um, I guess because of the jungle, either uh, from some of the flashbacks out with Alfred, uh, Baza, and Dave Boy in previous episodes, you know, either that's in um, the the fighting in World War Two, or it, you know, it could be more remin- reminiscent of say the Korean War or mm. or, or some war just after World War Two. Yeah, we, th- um, we we kind of set it as a war during the late fifties, early sixties, and that, yeah. that that would seem to play in there. But in uh, respect yeah. to the the Bosick painting, it's spot on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks very much, Patrick, for putting that out. If there's anything we missed in our episodes, guys, please send us an email uh, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or go on to Twitter and find us there at Gotham TV Podcast and let us know anything we miss. Let's go on to the way we normally break down our episodes into our main three kind of points. Uh, our first one being Alfie, the boys, and the job. This has worked for the last two episodes, Alfie and uh, and Dave Boy going on a job. Uh, let's have a chat about what's going on with Alfie and Dave Boy, John. Yeah, well, th- there's certainly a reoccurring theme here that they think that um, they're kind of done with the jobs, but mm-hmm. okay, one last job. Oh, there's yes. always one last job yeah. to do. It's uh, such it a never ends. It's yeah, such exactly. a trope of, of crime dramas from the 60s and 70s where you always meet the characters in the movie going on one last job. And here we have a weekly TV show with Alfie and Dave Boy trying to get to America and they can never get past that. Just one last job for this person. Last week it was Gully. This week it's one last job for Aziz before we go. Exactly. Uh, Alfie's got his money from the previous job with Gully mm -hmm. uh, at the wrestling arena. Um, He's gone to Thomas. He's got his tickets for America. um, And, you know, that's it. It doesn't need to do um, another job for Thomas. Um, But ultimately, Thomas Wayne gets his own way here and sort of ropes him into the, the, the job that, has been asked of um, the English League. Yeah. It's it's him and Martha, really, uh, I, I guess, with this. But yeah. I, I think um, the, the interesting thing is, like, literally, I, you don't know how much money they got from the wrestling job, but I guess that's most of it because he lost 20,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives 15. So he's only got 5,000 for America. And I'm... I still think that the the money that they were trying to get together was so that effectively they didn't have to hustle when oh, they yeah. got over there that they they didn't they could just relax you know and maybe that's just coming from Dave Boy's um dreams and uh you know what he wants from that which is sitting by the pool but yeah, remember nonetheless, that's what got them into all the trouble Dave Boy's assertion that they would have loads of money to go over there and that's how they lost their first 20 grand but but Alfie does have his tickets now he bought the tickets with 15 grand from the money that he got at the wrestling uh fight as you said um it seems like he doesn't have a huge amount more money than that uh although as we said before Dave Boy was uh saying that he 
they have loads to to go over there. But that's been a while now. We, they lost the twenty grand. Um, they have nothing else really, and we see Alfie basically say when they get over there, he's going to have to duck and dive when he gets over there so Sandra can't come with them. So that would seem to be it. I do like the kind of piece with Thomas where he said, um, I didn't think you're actually going to get the money. So I had a job all lined up for you. And Alfie doesn't even ask him what the job is. We find out later that actually he was going to give the job to get of getting Lucius Fox out of the Raven HQ to Alfred. But Thomas still gets his own way, effectively, even though he never actually asked Alfred. He asked in a roundabout way and it all came back to Alfred again. Yeah, exactly, through the English League. Yeah. It's interesting as well, just quickly, that um, he gets the three tickets. Obviously, his mother doesn't want anything to do with him, mm. but he still gets three tickets. And I know with the, the whole opening with Alfie and, and Melanie in bed after the dirty evening together mm. that uh, I, I there, there was the suggestion that she wouldn't be coming you know oh, yeah. that he, he liked the way it was, was perfectly happy with how it was working out and that's why he likes Melanie yeah. uh, when she asked him that you know she had her own life and she was happy just to go back to that and you know there, there was not really any deep emotional attachment between the two uh, but that was something that um, Alfred really liked uh, but there was still this idea that I was wondering whether he was going to offer it to her, you know, right. maybe almost like get her to safety, get her out yeah. of uh, Gully's grasp, I guess. But anyway, um, I think, yeah, w- we get to see the Queen here again, which was really good. Um, effectively mm-hmm. uh, blackmailing Alfie. Alfie should have just taken the money that both her and uh, Aziz, the, now the Prime Minister, mm-hmm. um, were offering right at the start. But he says, I don't need any money. So they threaten to expose his relationship with Melanie Gully yep. unless he does this one last last job. So he's forced to recover um, Lucius Fox mm-hmm. here uh, with uh, with Martha, who they team up with, both him and Dave Boy, yeah. um, to recover uh, Lucius from uh, the headquarters there of the Raven Union. Yeah. So he ends up, you know, getting no money, but it, he protects, in a sense, his reputation. But how protected that is going to be, because we do hear from Dave Boy mm. that... Actually, it's the gossip of Delaney's club. Yeah. And there's no real hiding from it. Yeah, but I don't think it's his reputation. That's the problem. I think he knows that if Gully finds out that he's been cheating with uh, with Melanie, Melanie's dead. Oh, um, no. I'm, yeah. I'm, so, so well, his, it's both. They're yeah, both partially. dead, probably. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but it's uh, his reputation is definitely not, uh, not on the line here, whereas Melanie's life does seem to be, as we see a bit later on in the episode. Um she does seem very threatened by the fact that there's a lot of people that know about this secretive relationship, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it is, yeah, the, the kind of section itself where we have the extraction of Lucius. I thought that was really interesting. I loved the scene. It's a really good, a really good uh, yeah. setup uh, where we have effectively Lucius going out under armed guard to go and get himself a cheeseburger. Um, the most perfect sounding cheeseburger I've ever heard. It's fantastic. I wonder if that come from Bruno Heller's experience living in the US coming back to the UK and trying to get a good cheeseburger in uh, in local diners. Um, this this idea where Lucius tells her exactly how to cook the burger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the look on her face is yeah. like, mm, yeah, 
If you're lucky. You might. <laughs> exactly. I might be able to deliver that for you. But it is interesting. You know, they talk about Lucius as being a very low-level back office person, but he is still surrounded by how many guards? There's three yeah, in there with him and three more outside yeah. as well. So uh, quite a lot of people on Lucius, but I presume that's even though he's low-level, the fact that he's working on Project Stormcloud would mean that he would be a high-value target for anybody, right? Yeah. But once again, as with all of their plans that we've seen uh, most uh, most of the last two seasons, really, Things go awry, shockingly enough, ending off in a massive bloodbath in the uh, in the diner. Yeah, and again, like Alfred's trying to prevent all-out bloodshed, but yeah. in the end, it's the the Raven Union guy that pulls the trigger, and he's like, "I wanted to avoid this." It does feel like it's you know it, it's relating to the the death of the wrestler, yeah, and 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 that plus. Everything, all the PTSD from his war days, you know, the death of Baza. There's quite a lot of death has happened recently with mm-hmm. his dad, with Baza. That is quite close to to Alfred, mm-hmm. and I think as well the the death of an innocent in last week's episode with the wrestler. You yeah. know, uh, he really wasn't down for that. So. Again, it's it's just trying to avoid bloodshed here, yeah. and it it doesn't pan out. Um, and they they have to take out the the three Raven officers in the diner, yeah. and also the the three that are racing from the cars outside. Yeah. Um, so I love that tension between yeah. them, them being paramilitary troopers uh, versus the catering corps, yeah, as uh, as Dave Boy and uh, and. Alfie refers to the SAS. I uh, love that kind of that, that, that kind of back and forth, especially Dave Boys. Anybody could fall out of a plane. Uh, kind of attack on the paramilitaries. I think he ratchets up the tension, uh, even as Alfie's trying to calm it down. Uh, Dave Boy does ratchet up the tension, and once again, for I, I'm trying to keep count of this. I'm losing count. I think it's about the eighth time in the series that we have Dave Boy taking another bullet. Uh, this time to the shoulder, just a flesh wound, as every single other bullet has been since the start. Really makes me feel there's some kind of Batman villain or Batman uh, ally uh, in inside Dave Boy here. It really does, doesn't it? Mm. Or it's going to end in a gunshot that is a little more serious than a flesh wound. I feel like his last words might be... It was just a flesh wound <laughs> as, yeah. he, as he dies from multiple <laughs> bullet hole wounds. But it, I don't know. It just feels like he's more of a comic book character than a lot more. A lot of the other characters that we've seen in the show, the show is very serious and very uh, dramatically played for the most part. And then the overlay, just like they did with Gotham with Bruno Heller and Danny Cannon, there's an overlay of a type of comic book styling to it. Yeah. Um, and particularly with Dave Boy getting shot almost every single uh, episode or almost every single attack. I think the only time he didn't get shot recently was at the at the uh, the wrestling um, event or the, the wrestling yeah. job. So uh, so he, it's interesting that once again he's shot here. So Yeah, he made it out of the um, – in, in fine fettle, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, another aspect here, um, as I mentioned, is, you know, a bit of strain between Alfie and Dave Boy because of what – uh, Alfie has has been doing, especially yeah. with um, you know two two ladies, both with Sandra the the lying to her, and also then the um, the while whilst consensual, it, it's the infidelity to to Gully with with his wife mm-hmm. Melanie. Dave Boy's rightly going. You know how bad Gully is. You know what he did in the war. You know yeah. the kind of punishment he sets on people in a war situation. Can you imagine what he would do if he finds out you're he sleep, you're sleeping with his wife? Yeah, and we saw in the last episode him taking out one of his um, fighters yeah. from the wrestling uh, job. Yeah. So w- we come back, but Alfie, you know, has finally uh, 
gotten enough courage to tell Sandra um, the day before he flies. Yeah, (laughs) that effectively he's going to America. He's sorry he couldn't um, he he couldn't make her recording, but that uh, you know I I think here Sandra is played absolutely excellently. I love the reaction here, and even with the gift of cash uh, in an envelope i love that um she leaves it on the stage she mm-hmm. doesn't want it she's like you know it, it it's almost like she it doesn't come as a surprise it's just that's what he does he has this detachment yeah. that only at the moment melanie can fulfill because she is equally detached yeah. um from her loveless marriage with gully Absolutely. Um, and sandra is full of life full of hope uh, full of that love that isn't really there in, in Alfred. And I think this is a really interesting way of painting him mm-hmm. um, as well, because, you know, the cash envelope thing it is, it feels like buying her off. Um, his treatment of her is pretty grim. Really Even insulting. Dave Boy yeah. um, calls that out. Yeah. And I, I think what, you know, her response to it all is like, you know, just leaves him and leaves his cash, importantly, yeah. which is really, really good. That's really insulting. It's almost like he's yeah. treating her like a prostitute or exactly. someone that he's paying to have the relationship with her. You know, oh, here's a here's a bit of cash that should smooth over the issues, like he's like he generally does, I suppose, in his in his normal life uh, outside of this. Once again, you're right, John. We we complimented uh, John East last week for the wonderful scene with Sandra singing at the end of the episode, and this this scene is is my favorite of the episode as well. Yeah, um, I love that. While really hurt. While Sandra's really hurt and you can tell that she's about to start crying and Alfie tells her not to cry and she's kind of, you know, you don't get to tell me what to do. But I love in her response is, well, at least you told me. Most of the men would just run away. And I'd be sitting here left behind wondering what happened to you, wondering what I did, wondering wondering what caused it, wondering whether you're alive or not. At least you told me that you're leaving. At least that's some solace for this breakup. Yeah, I I guess her expectation of what Alfie would... Uh, be to her has mm-hmm. just gradually been eroded with every time he's never showed up or he's given the excuse that I'm too busy with work yeah. to do anything with her that over time maybe she felt this was the inevitable way it was going to go ultimately mm, um, and but and so she's that little bit of solace that comforts her she's kind of plucking from thin air yeah. uh, but it, it's the, the low expectation that she has for for Alfie in, in this moment. And I think that's what's really good about that scene is she doesn't have high expectations of him. She would be happy just with some time with him and mm. to the point where he didn't just disappear. So she's glad of that at least. Yeah. And that's just the way she frames it to to kind of move on. But certainly you know she bawled her eyes out uh, and was deeply upset by yeah. by this because her father comes around and gives him a good right hook you know he's not happy at all and i think um yeah, yeah, there's a an element that he of it's just deserves um, that's what i was going to say you know for a show that has the name pennyworth written right there in the main titles I've never wanted a main character to get punched in the face by somebody, by his lover's father uh, more. This is a great moment when Sid comes in and, and gives, uh, gives, uh, gives him a right what for, as I yeah. say. Uh, but he does, it isn't every woman in his life that's, uh, that's unhappy with Alfie. We do have his mother looking on here, sees what's going on, sees this, uh, punishment that Alfie goes through. 
and we do get the reconciliation pretty yeah. quickly actually yeah it is honest. pretty quickly um i kind of get it she's that's his mother and she's very used to this type of situation with alfie she, she speaks about sometimes in the past all the way back from when he was a kid tried to kiss a girl that didn't want it and got beaten up by her and she just kind of says well that's just been the pattern of your whole life has just been trouble follows you no matter what you're trying to do trouble follows you and i'll now be here regardless of my own feelings regardless of my of what i want your father would have want, wanted me to take care of you so i'm going with you to america basically. yeah it, it, so. it's a mother's love isn't yeah. it because only she could do that in that moment to reconcile both herself with her son which you is you can understand yeah. but also to put aside what she's just witnessed what she knows uh to to kind of forgive him yeah. in order to go and help him what's that uh, other great line from her where she says um I, I can always take solace in the fact that you're sorry for the things that you've done um, so at least i know you apologize for the things you've done even when you don't even when you've done bad and you don't mean to do bad yeah. at least you're apologizing for it but yeah. she wants no guns no trouble yeah. and she doesn't want any of those bears wolves <laughs> or snakes and she wants him to give her a grandchild, which I guess she'll be waiting a long time. I think she might be. I think she might be. It's, it's, the, it's the Monty Python requirements. I just have two requirements for you. Here's three. Um, <laughs> just the uh, the little gag in there as well. Um, yeah, so they are off to America still. Uh, got three on the way. Even though it's not playing out exactly as I would have wanted it to, I am kind of glad we are seeing the impact of the loss of Baza. Baza was such a central character to the relationship between Dave Boy and uh, and Alfie that at least seeing that breakdown of the relationship between Dave Boy and Alfie because they don't have someone in between the two of them. Yeah. And they both kind of reflect on the fact that if, if Baza was here, certain things wouldn't be going on. You know, there's, there's certain things like Alfie probably wouldn't be going into the arms of Melanie because... He'd be talked out of it by Baza. Baza would be able to keep him on the straight and narrow a bit more than Dave Boy could because yeah. Dave Boy does nothing other than drink in the cubicle and he, wait for his time to go. You know? He's lost one of his angels on his yeah. on his shoulder, which yeah. is which, which is Baza, the rational, sensible one. Yeah. And Dave Boy, the nutty alcoholic, is still sort of you know giving the dangerous advice to some extent. But even in this moment, he he knows that what Alfred is doing is wrong and is just kind of, yeah, doesn't look great. Yeah, um, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, and he knows he's doing the wrong thing, right? I think Dave Boy's still just drinking his sorrows after finding out that wrestling isn't real from last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's it for Alfie, the boys in the job. I think so too. I think on to our next point, the English League mm. and Thomas. Ooh, this was kind of an interesting side of it. I know you mentioned mentioned pieces of it up in, uh, up in your synopsis, John, but... I was really intrigued to see how uh, how much Aziz wants to hold on to the new power he has. Yeah. You know, like he's moved up from you know head of the police uh, where he made he was a an inspector. He was, yes, exactly. He was an inspector in season one. Moved up to the head of the police, but made loads and loads of errors all the way throughout season one. Stupid things that caused uh, Pennyworth major pain, uh, and has now gotten to his role as prime minister and is definitely not willing to let go of the reins of that power right yeah no th th this was really um kind of a bit of a, a, a side quest in many respects mm -hmm. um but it was really good it kind of you know it was out of the blue but i i ended off really enjoying this first of all having alistair crowley come back in is great and john ripper oh, and yeah. the whole hallucination afterwards um was really good, was, was superb and i love yeah. that it was all uh, manufactured by aziz 
in, in terms of you know tipping off Thomas for the, for the CIA to, to asking this favor mm-hmm. and of uh, informing Alistair Crowley that John Ripper is going to come after him. Um, but also then just that moment where he, you know, he swats that fly and tapes it to a pentagram <laughs> yeah. and obviously gets that sent off to John Ripper, uh, where it looks like it's coming from Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he, he kind of manufactures the situation. I love that but, he's just giggling to himself about the idea that he's just sent the fly in the post to, <laughs> to Yeah, to Ripper, exactly. So um, and of course, this plays out where Ripper tries to kidnap Crowley. Yeah, I love the fact that it's the intoxicating lippy that um, Crowley has put on mm-hmm. um, as his protection yes. uh, that effectively knocks Ripper out. And you get this great sequence of Ripper waking up. And at least for the audience, you think he's in the forest. You see the cross there. You wonder what's about to happen. Mm. But it's all in his mind. And you get the lovely um, sort of hallucination of of all these demons coming at him in the yeah. forest. And then the, the, the camera work yeah, yeah. pulls back and it's actually back at in- the English League's headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's um, guards, it's the Queen, yeah. and it's Aziz. And you get this lovely, cunning, duplicitous Aziz moment where he leans in and whispers to him that it was him all along, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he gets the guards to take him away. And again, he's still... Ripper is still trapped in his own mind um, from all the the drugs, the hypnotism, whatever it is that Crowley has done to him. Mm. Uh, so Crowley has really, you know, worked a number on, on John Ripper here, but all to take out effectively his rival to the seat of power mm-hmm. to re- you know reduce that those threats to his new power absolutely uh, it was really really good he's and- off to bedlam as well to uh to be taken care of for these mental issues he's suddenly having hmm hypnotic lip gloss hmm scary creatures coming out of the darkness like a scarecrow would do, and maybe like poison ivy might do. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Gotham that might exist over in over in uh, in London. It certainly in the is. Early 60s, yeah, yeah. It certainly is. And obviously Bedlam being the stand-in for Arkham Asylum as well yes. for uh, for Gotham. So uh, yeah, some of the uh, some of the elements here uh, definitely felt very Gotham-like, very Batman universe-like, as they should. We have uh, some major Batman characters, um, including. The first, shall we say, appearance of Bruce Wayne? Yes, in we, vomit form. we get in this episode? I guess that's the way you'd say it, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in there, there is a sort of, there is a hormone from the pregnancy that, that Martha um, is, is, has and is currently undergoing morning sickness. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we first get this glimpse really quite early on when Martha is asked to do this job to, to get Lucius Fox and she runs out of Aziz's office and yeah. throws up and she says this is the second time. Um, and I think even then I was like, oh, she might be pregnant. It might be morning sickness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes, this gets confirmed um, as Patricia Wayne body painting the buttocks of the guy in uh-huh. Martha's uh, apartment. Did she uh, have keys to Martha's apartment? I she guess so, because she used to live there. there, wasn't she? She was looking after her, yeah. and th- there is that connection with Martha. Yeah. So I guess she Martha pops in from more, time to yeah. time. And she certainly with, likes him a lot, her a lot more than she likes Thomas. Yeah, with a human meat canvas. <laughs> and um, But 
She is absolutely on it from the the moment that Martha comes in. Mm-hmm. She says, "There's a giveaway. You're farting all the time," yeah. uh, and. Her her breasts are magnificent <laughs> as they're getting ready for young Bruce Wayne. Oh, so and I love I love yeah. the reaction from Martha is very much like oh I thought I was hiding it better than that you know because <laughs> she knows she <laughs> yeah. she knows herself she knows what's going on. So um, but yeah Martha's gone along on this trip hopefully to find out the information from Lucius all about what is Project Stormcloud. You know Thomas didn't give a huge amount away at all when questioned by Aziz. Just kind of said, you know, when we get our man back, we'll find out more about it. And Martha was supposed to find out from Lucius, but Lucius completely clams up and doesn't tell anything about Project Stormcloud until he returns to meet Thomas. Um, what we find out is that, that understandably, Lucius is terrified of this yeah. concept of, of Project Stormcloud. He wants it to go, to be escalated all the way to the highest power, wants to be escalated to uh, the President of America and wants the President of America's reaction to be, we will crush the Raven Union, because that's the only way they will stop on their path of releasing Stormcloud. And if Thomas isn't willing to do that, or the president isn't willing to do that, Lucius is going to go back in and intervene to stop this from happening. Yeah, absolutely. He he. This is such a threat. He wants the USA to renege on their pact with the Raven Union mm. uh, and act against them, um, which is really, really interesting. Um, and Thomas is like, no, I can't do that. I mean, it, yeah. it's actually almost Thomas is almost this um, neutered bureaucrat who yep. feels like he can't even bring this up, which, you know, I guess that's the whole point of having um, an operative in the field like Lucius Fox is to find out what's going on and then to act or not act on that intel. But I don't know whether it's for Thomas Wayne. I, I don't get the sense that Thomas Wayne is high up enough to be able to say whether you would decisively act or not on that intel that Lucius Fox has given. Yeah, he kind of just says, I'll send it up the chain with a red flag or a red light attached to it so it'll get picked up by the right people. But that's all we're going to do kind of thing. Um, Again, interestingly, the relationship between Lucius Fox and Thomas here, um, Thomas Wayne and Lucius in comic books and and in uh, Gotham and in various movies, they would have had a relationship where they were very close because Lucius went and worked for Wayne Enterprises, uh, Wayne Industries. Um, So they would have worked together for years. And here, the relationship that they have is that Lucius doesn't like Thomas because, once again, born with a silver spoon in his mouth and just got a brand new job really high up in the CIA and doesn't have to be in the field like Lucius does. So instantly... Uh, instant dislike between uh, Lucius and Thomas here, which I think was interesting. That's true. The the Thomas Wayne character is unlikable in Mm. this. I mean, you want you you're rooting for Martha. You're rooting for Lucius Fox, and it it you're rooting for Patricia and the way he's so controlling of her. It, It 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 absolutely smacks of the entitlement silver spoon element that Lucius mentions here. So I think, um, again, it's interesting. I'd love to see how this plays out over another season or, or, or more. Mm -hmm. Um, if it were to get more seasons and more episodes, because yeah, at the moment, you know, these two people in terms of Alfred and in terms of Thomas Wayne, Mm -hmm. that you certainly have, you know, know more of from the comics. 
backs mm. um, with Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And not a lot, I'm yeah. saying, but because they're treated in shorthand, you, you don't get the sense of this complexity. Yeah. And so I guess you immediately default to, you know, uh, uh, Alfred being the, the person that assists Batman is his almost Baza-esque um, sort of rational voice over yeah. the shoulder saying you need to be careful about your body and the impact it's taken when he's fighting in Gotham. Yeah. You have Thomas Wayne, you know, this he, he's set up as a doctor working in the community. He's yeah. very philanthropic. Yeah. Uh, he's looking out for other people. The relationship with Lucius Fox seems to be one of equals. You know, mm-hmm. he was here, he's condescending. There's a snobbery about him. Um and you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. You, you know, he's sleeping on the job. It, yeah. It's like he, he he's doing something so important, and he's been put there because of his wealth, as his networks and his contacts. But actually, he's useless at it. He doesn't really know how to maintain those relationships, or his entitlement gets the better of him. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe something like that. Like, I, mean, I, I like that discussion between Aziz and, and him and Martha, where Thomas is saying that he needs this job done to extricate. Uh, Lucius and um, asks Aziz what he can do for him. Aziz kind of goes, well, you could stop supporting the Raven Union for one. <laughs> they want to kill all of us. Stop yeah. supporting them. And, and Thomas goes, it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to lose. So we're not going to support you. So he's so cold about it, sitting in the room with these two people who need the support because they're they're everything's dwindling. All their supplies are dwindling. Their, their forces are dwindling. Their, their yeah. land is dwindling because of this attack by the Raven Union. But Thomas is completely unwilling to entertain the idea that CIA yeah. could support them. Vive la resistance, well, yeah. Thomas. Yeah, um, yeah, it'd be useless in a in a scrappy fight. He would. He would. But you're right. It, it is interesting. Again, the two major characters that we have here aren't necessarily very good people, uh, which is you know a good thing about about the show overall. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little bit, obviously, about about the Project Stormcloud that's also being talked about over in the Raven Union as well. Our final major point for the episode. Let's get on to the Raven Union. Yes, the Raven Union. I, I think the interesting thing here is, you know, the whole brains behind Project Stormcloud is Captain Salt. Well, um, yeah. and you see here his scheming machinations that have been playing out, and you've kind of gathered that he's very scheming. Oh, yeah. He's very cunning. Uh, I think I mentioned is. Harwood getting the medication from Salt. And yes, in this episode, right, uh, we, we see that. We can see that Salt is playing Harwood uh, and moving him into position uh, in terms of building up this paranoia yeah. in Harwood that he sees betrayal uh, and being undermined at every turn. Yeah. Um, to the point where, you know, he, effectively Salt now has maneuvered himself to be to being Francis Gaunt's replacement, who Harwood uh, imprisoned mm-hmm. in, in the last episode. And he maneuvers himself to become Sir John Salt as well. He maneuvers yes. himself all gets the way. Gets an earldom. Yeah. He, he gets a whole rake of things. He gets everything um, he wants because yeah. he needs to get up higher in society from this uh, low-born 
professor scientist effectively all the way up to uh, Sir John Salt um, you know being referred to that uh, referred like that from Harwood Uh, not only is he providing the drugs to him John I think that's one of the things I wanted to point out because I love when you're right uh, on your theories so uh, let's just delve into it me too it's very rare very rare (laughs) but just delving into it a little bit you know we even have a moment here from Harwood where he looks at the pills that Salt is giving to him and going these are a different colour and Salt's going to him no same formulation we just changed the colour on you yeah well, people don't do that on pills, so they don't get confused, is the point. You would never change the colour of somebody's pills. So absolutely, Salt is plying him full of different stuff to in order to manipulate him. Once again, another very um, Batman-y, Gotham universe or DC universe type of thing. Yeah, it's almost, it's, it's almost a bit Riddler-esque. Yeah. You know, he's isolating, he's using his intellect mm-hmm. in order to manoeuvre himself into position and manoeuvre the other chess pieces of Harwood, Gaunt, even the Lieutenant Graves that we see mm. and the Field Marshal Thursday, <laughs> strange name, um, well, speaking you know, of all names. around the board yeah. and... I think that's the the really good thing is you know he's trying to isolate Harwood yeah. in his position to make him paranoid and yeah it, it plays out really nicely here yeah. um after you know thinking about seeing Har- um Salt sorry uh, in episode 1 of this season mm-hmm. and, and knowing that you know he was a bit of a conniver yeah. uh, and seeing it play out here uh, in the war room at Raven Union headquarters you know with the Harwood staff looking, um, you know, aghast at what's happening. Um, yeah. What with Francis Gaunt, even the elevation of Salt, um, but also then what happens with Lieutenant Graves, yeah. who comes in with some quite reasonable conv- like discussions. In fact, his theory as to that it can't have been Francis Gaunt, that there's someone playing mm. events out in the background is well he's right there in the room uh, yeah which is really good yeah he's, he's close he's close with his estimation he is he is marginally wrong francis gone did go behind harwood back harwood's back to go and reach out to aziz and try and form this relationship yeah. so that they could stop project stormcloud effectively uh, so she did go behind harwood's harwood's back we also heard earlier on when they're talking with uh, with the field marshal. Uh, we heard earlier on that Harwood is uh, is willing to use the weapon, right? Um, so he's basically saying we are going to wipe them all out with Stormcloud, um, and that's the first indication that something is going badly wrong. And the reason, one of the reasons why uh, Field Marshal Wednesday is, is going to take away his power by the end of the episode. No Thursday. Thursday. But I guess there's I guess there's a field marshal for every day of the <laughs> there week. Maybe. There may be. It's just all the names in this episode, you know. I'm sorry. It's, it's you know, it's 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 it's, uh, it's it's Field Marshal Thursday. That's yes, he's gonna take him out. But I but I do absolutely want to mention how ironically named Lieutenant Graves is. You obviously knew that he was going to be in his grave by the end of the episode. Yes, there is he is going to end off uh, being killed by Harwood in the most brutal of ways. Like he kills him with his with his walking stick. Yeah, he's bludgeoned to death yeah. by by Harwood. But he stops, looks up, sees everybody in the room, and then goes back for more and beats him to death. Yeah, and it's only with Field Marshal um, next Friday. Tuesday that, <laughs> oh, sorry, Field Marshal Thursday coming mm-hmm. back in, and effectively Harwood then is taken away. I think interestingly with the Field Marshal though mm-hmm. is that he, like Francis Gaunt, was Stormcloud as a threat to use. Yeah. Um, it's a threat to use, Absolutely. not to actually use it. Yeah. Um, Why where, would you use a nuclear weapon? Exactly. You know, Whereas I guess 
um, Salt wants to see his creation, his, his maybe his life's work, possibly, mm-hmm. um, play out. Um, you know, he has aspirations of power. Yeah. I, I guess now he is now the chancellor. If Harwood is taken away, he's deemed to have gone uh, crazy, mm-hmm. um, has killed one of his officers, high-ranking officers in in graves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you see a quick coup effectively happen yeah. in this episode with Harwood following Gaunt into prison mm-hmm. and... Um, at least under lockdown, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Salt being elevated, at least in the interim, and I guess for longer, as the Chancellor. See, I wonder whether he's gotten the Chancellor's job or, or will he be... Uh, effectively, Field Marshal will move up to Chancellor and he'll still be in the ear of Field Marshal Thursday. Uh, I wonder if that's going to be the case. Uh, so I know, I guess I guess there. it's Salt as the deputy. He that's, he replaced Francis Gaunt. Yeah, yeah. And she stood in for him whilst he was in prison. Yeah. So I, I guess it would be him automatically. Whether the Field Marshal is happy with that, and I guess there's still tension to play out between what needs to happen with storm cloud between mm-hmm. salt and the field marshal so there be there may be more um infighting to come at raven headquarters yeah absolutely last mention for um, on storm cloud for me i really like the description that we got from lucius of what storm cloud does uh in this episode um he specifically mentions that it attacks the limbic system yeah. and people die of terror literally once again feels very like uh, a certain Scarecrow character. It certainly does, from, doesn't it? <laughs> from uh, Gotham, yes. Do you have anything else in this episode, John? Yeah, no, there's no notes from me. Okay, one, just got to mention the poor dog of um, <laughs> of Alistair Crowley who gets thrown out the window at the hands of the Ripper. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was really cruel, but I could absolutely see it happening, you know. Crowley going out for a walk with his dog and then being told to get in the car with Ripper. I didn't think... Uh, Ripper was going to be putting up with a dog in there. <laughs> no. But I love the forlorn look uh, of the dog standing on the side As of the street. As the car drives the car away. Drives yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice really little good. shot. Yeah. Good, uh, good little gag there from uh, from John East, I'd say, uh, in the direction. Um, that's it for our major moments for the episode. Really enjoyed it. If you want to tell us your thoughts, please email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, John, overall, how would you rate this episode of Pennyworth? I really like this episode. I thought it brought a lot of stuff together. Mm. I, I'd give this four painted books buttocks out of five <laughs> no can. fellow governors i'm not obsessed with buttocks <laughs> or am i i think you might be. Uh, might be nonetheless um yeah i thought this pulled a lot together you know mm-hmm. um we were wondering ooh, will we see martha pregnant uh, in this series um in pennyworth and and we get that and yeah. it's kind of a nice touch because it, it is you kind of it you take on a different view of martha because there's a a Bruce Wayne starting yeah. uh, to form here. It also suggests, um, you know, that the relationship between Thomas and Martha, you know, how are they going to play that? Is it that they reconcile and actually they do really like one another's company or mm. is it some kind of social pressure? I mean, it's it's just where are they going to go? How are they going to treat that? Yeah. And I think as well... I think they do really like each other. No, I do. I do. They, I they think do it, just love to fight with each other. They too. fight and I think they get exasperated because it's kind of on, off, on, off. So yeah. it's one of those. So this may finally bring it all on, uh, I, I yeah. guess. It's a classic um, sitcom drama trope of the two main characters. It is. like each other, but have to be together. And I think in the same way that we're talking about, you know, how certainly at the moment Thomas is kind of a bit obnoxious mm-hmm. uh, with his um, entitlements that at the same time, I love that 
Alfred here is actually played very, very darkly. Um, and I loved that moment with Sandra. Uh, I thought it was absolutely, um, awesome. I loved the breakdown of, 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 of her, but holding it together. And I, it was just, yeah, I cheered when she left the cash envelope there on, on the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. You gave a really good punch in the air when, uh, when Sandra did that, didn't you? Yeah. It, it was <laughs> totally really, right, it was really, really good. Yeah. You know, you can see the threads of Melanie and the complication with Gully mm-hmm. happening here. You can see potentially that, you know, you can see Alfred lost at sea, what with Sandra and, and with what's happening at Melanie. Uh, and and also with his his relationship with um, Dave Boy, and I think you're right. You you do sense the loss of Baza. It's kind of that yeah. that the glue that binds the three together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think here, uh, I love the sur- surreal um, buttock painting. You know, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> okay, what's that about? Why is that even in there? But why not? Because I mean, it's Patricia Wayne. I know, but still, she could just be painting or no she could just be relaxing on the sofa. Yeah. What I mean is, it's quirky. It's fun. Why not? Yeah. Really good. No it's, yeah, more, it's Pennyworth. No more naked buttocks for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Crowley's uh, mind alteration of, of Ripper, really nicely done. A nice little dark twist for Aziz yeah. here, uh, which was nice. Um, and also, um, with the coup d'etat happening at Raven Union mm. headquarters, uh, I, I liked how that played out, um, to see Salt's, um, devious machinations, uh, finally bearing fruit for yeah. him. Yeah. Um, uh, because certainly last episode, it felt like he was being put in his place and, and that possibly it wasn't going to work out like this, but really, really good. So yeah. Absolutely, I uh, thought this was a great little episode. Excellent. There's a little part of me that's wondering, are they tying up a lot of things really quickly here? We originally were supposed to have a 10-episode series, as we mentioned last week. We actually don't know how many episodes we have left. If we only have two more episodes left, they certainly feel like they have to pull a lot of threads in together in this episode, uh, bringing Bruno Heller in to, to run this episode as he's the showrunner for the show. I wonder if this is where we're seeing the kind of COVID effect of the shutdown and, and reopening of their of their filming. Are they pulling things together so that they could deliver the full season? Um, so I felt like a lot of things were going really fast in this episode. As I said, lots and lots of uh, major characters uh, getting almost wrap-ups to their storyline, at least on the path to their closing storyline in a couple yeah. more episodes. So I'll be intrigued to see if we do have a full 10 episodes or whether we have eight. Yeah, and it's interesting. Is it closing because maybe there's not going to be another season? Mm-hmm. Or are they closing because they're coming to the end of the the UK part of Alfred's journey and mm-hmm. life and possibly uh, going to America. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see really what happens yeah. um with with this show. Uh, but certainly this really did move things along as you say quite quickly right. but quite nicely as yeah, well. Absolutely. I thought it was done pretty neatly. Yeah. Absolutely. Always love uh, Bruno Heller's writing as well. So um, thanks very much once again for joining us for this episode of Pennyworth. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over on uh, TV Podcast Industries, or if you just want to subscribe to the Pennyworth podcast, there's a feed out there for that too. We've just finished our coverage of WandaVision, as I mentioned earlier on, and we'll be kicking off our coverage of Falcon and the Winter Soldier from March 19th uh, over on Disney Plus on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries. Yes, and of course, we will be continuing our podcast discussions on the Pennyworth podcast uh, for 
season two of Pennyworth, and we will be back with episode seven, The Bloody Mary, next week. Mm-hmm. Headless monarch or drink? Who knows? We'll have to see uh, what they mean by that. That's true. Uh, but we hope you'll return to join us uh, for uh, our next podcasts on everything to do with Pennyworth. Mm-hmm. And of course, Falcon and Winter Soldier as well over on TV Podcast Industries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Yeah. Thanks so much, fellow governors. Um, speak to you again soon. Bye. Bye.